to 20. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. We have been uh, in the middle of our series in the book of Hebrews, which is this incredible letter. It's full of hope and promise and confidence. And I don't know where you're coming from this morning, whether talking about Jesus is something that is um, something you're very comfortable with, you've grown up with, or whether it's something that's newer to you and that, um, yeah, you're still finding out is this weird, is this out there, but my prayer for you this morning is that wherever you're coming from, that this message would help you. We are picking up the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, verse 13, as Joe just read, and the author starts by reminding us of the promises that God made to Abraham, how if God came through then, if God was faithful then, that he's going to be faithful now. And he says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Hebrews is saying, following Jesus is worth it. It might cost you and it might be uncomfortable, but it's worth it. And then in verse 19, as we said, it talks about an anchor for our soul. This whole section really is about trust. Can I trust God? Is God trustworthy? Are his promises trustworthy? Trust. I don't know what you um, think of when you hear the word trust. Maybe you think of uh, back to youth group games. Remember, like you had the trust exercises where you had to like fall back into someone's arms. Sometimes it went wrong. Or, um, or uh, maybe you have the Disney version of trust, the whole Aladdin as um, he reaches out to take the princess to a whole new world. And he, and he reaches out his hand and says, do you trust me? In the breathy voice. And what, of course, what does she say? Yes, because it's Disney. But trust, how do we see trust? And um, Hebrews has a much more down-to-earth image, and he says, um, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. If you are drifting along in the Murray in your tinny, and you get to the perfect fishing hole, how are you going to stay there and stop the current drifting you down? You're going to put an anchor in, as Pastor David stole all my sermon illustrations, but anyway. (laughs) But uh, using my... um, whiteboard here, a highly accurate illustration of this situation is we have um, our boat and, um, sorry, oh okay, okay, Um, so if we have an anchor, what are the two points which are required for the anchor to hold firm? Yeah, so it needs to be firmly anchored into the boat, but it also needs to be anchored 
into the foundation at the bottom. If the, the, if the water, if the anchor is just sitting in the water, it's not going to work because the water is the problem. The water is what's shifting. And uh, I think it can sometimes be like that in life, can't, can't it? We can live in the midst of a life and a community and a society and a world as a whole that is constantly adrift. It's constantly changing. That um, no matter what happens, there's things that are pushing at us and, and, and trying to push us in different directions, as David's kids talk showed us. And um, the problem is the water around us is pushing us and we need an anchor for our souls. For some people, that anchor is their family or something that makes them happy or uh, maybe it's a secure job choice or um, maybe a confidence of having some money in the bank. Maybe uh, their anchor is a sense of belonging in a certain place, a family farm or, or a sense of identity in a community. We all naturally gravitate towards some anchor, some, some point at which we feel secure, and they tend to fit into, I am what I have, I am what I do, or I am what people say about me. It tends to fit into, I am what I have, I am what I do, or I am what people say about me. Now, if you're like, actually, I'm a Christian, this doesn't apply to me, if you say that, you don't realize that your own soul will naturally be gravitating to this regardless of where you're coming from. We all, if, if you think you don't have an anchor somewhere else, you don't know your own heart. The problem is, as C.S. Lewis points out, he says, don't let your happiness depend on something you may lose. All of the above can be lost. If our anchor is our family, what happens when there's conflict or when, when there's breakdown? We're left adrift. What happens um, if we have a secure job choice, but then all of a sudden there's a crisis and, and the job goes? We lose our job. What happens when there's a financial crisis and we lose our money? What happens when, when our self-worth is, is tied to a farm or some point of belonging and then all of a sudden it disappears? We're left adrift. We need an anchor that goes all the way down, that goes into something so, so firm, so... Um, foundational, something that's trustworthy, into the rocks right at the bottom, and it will not change. And Hebrews points us there. Hebrews, has a, have a look at this passage. It says, and we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. He's not just saying we have hope. No, he's saying we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. What's he pointing to? He's pointing to the promise. God was faithful when he made a promise, and he came through, and if he came through, then he will come through again. But he's not just talking about any promise. He's specifically talking about the promise to Abraham. And um, I would love, if, if you have a Bible, open it up to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. Some of you have Bibles that are glowing. Pull them out. Open up the Bible app. Genesis chapter 15, because I think it'll be helpful if we all go there. Genesis chapter 15. Now, a bit of context here. Um, God is speaking to Abraham and, um, and he's made this promise to Abraham to go into a land that he doesn't even have any idea where he's going. He needs to go. God's just pretty much written a blank check and said, go, and I'm going to show you. And he goes and God has just in a couple of verses before this chapter brought a great victory to Abraham. He's won this battle and now God in the beginning of chapter 15 verse 1 says, and, and, and God showed up in a vision. He's had this victory and now God is speaking to him. And he says, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. 
and your very great reward. Why is Hebrews taking us here? Because it's quoting this verse some 2,000 years later. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. I am your shield and your very great reward. But I love how the Bible is not full of perfect people who do perfect things and always say the right things and No, it's actually full of ordinary people who make mistakes and doubt and sometimes disbelieve. And I'm like, come on, because that's me most of the time. But uh, in this passage, Abraham is depressed. Abraham's like, God, why are you bothering to bless me? Why bother doing this for me? Because I haven't got an heir. If you give all this stuff to me, it's actually going to go to some random servant who I don't really care about. So why bother blessing me? If you haven't given me an heir and God's like, chill, it's okay. You're going to have a son. Look up at the sky. Count the stars and see how many stars. Try and count them. You can't because that's how many, that's how many descendants you're going to have. In the face of all of the odds stacked against Abraham, he's 75. It seems so unlikely. God says, trust me. And, and amazingly, Abraham did. In the face of incredible odds, everything stacked against him, he says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham trusts God and is accounted righteous because of it. So far, so good. Abraham has come through round of promises number one. But then God goes on with his next promise and he says, and not only am I going to give you a son, But I'm also, have a look outside, have a look all around you. All this land, do you see it? I'm going to bless it all to you. It's going to be your inheritance. I'm going to give it to you. But this time, Abraham balks. He's like, "Mm, actually, how can I know that this is going to happen? Like, this is a crazy promise. Not only are you going to give me a son, but you're also going to bless me with this whole land. How can I know that you're going to come through on this? How can I know? Can I trust you? Now, What does God say? Is God like, how dare you trust me? And like destroy Abraham? No. Does he punish Abraham? No. What does he say? Let's read it. Chapter 15, verse 1. Oh, sorry. Verse, where are we up to? Six. Abraham believes God. And then um, he says, verse 8. O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him, and he cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. I'm going to skip forward. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into this deep sleep, and this thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants are going to be strangers in a country not their own, He's basically telling Abraham what his descendants are going to do, the choices they're going to make, where they're going to end up. And if we skip forward to verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, a Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your descendants, I give this land. Now, if you have followed along to this point, you're probably going to be asking, why in the world is Hebrews pointing us here? Why does it point to Genesis 15? And what in the world does this have to do with, Genesis 15, with Hebrews 6? 
But um, stick with me because we're going to get there. How do we make a promise today? A serious promise, like a promise that we, we, we um, are serious about. How would we make a promise like that? Yeah, so how do, we, what, what, how do we make a promise that we're going to be faithful or stick with that promise? We write a contract. Yeah, and how do we do that? What is that? We get a bunch of words on a paper and it says, I am going to do this and, and you're going to do this and they both sign it. So say you're buying a house. You would say, okay, I'm going to give you this amount of money and you're going to give me the keys and the title and we both sign it. Or if it's a job, you will say, I'm going to put in this amount of hours and achieve these outcomes. You're going to pay me this amount of money and you both sign it. Or even if it's a, if it's a marriage, a wedding, the groom will say, I, I, I promise I'm going to love you in sickness and in health and it goes on. What if the bride was to turn around and say, how can I know? How can I know that you're going to do this? Well, they get a piece of paper and they sign it. They, they, they get a covenant, a contract, and they sign it. And what happens if we break the contract, if we break a, a job agreement and we don't achieve our outcomes, or we have a house contract and we don't come up with the money? Well, it's brought before the law, and there's consequences. Now, think back to Abraham's day. This is 4,000 years ago. At this point, there is no law. God has not written the law. He's, he's going into a new country. He's, there are no laws. So how does someone make a promise? Well, they would act out the, co- the consequences of unfaithfulness. They would act out what would happen if the person was to break their promise. So they would take some animals. You would get two people. In fact, um, I've got some illustrations here. They would take... I've got my... Shook, I wasn't going to go out and get a heifer, but um, they would cut the chook into the, the animal, not a chook, it was like a heifer, but anyway, whoops, they would cut it in two, ooh, <laughs> okay, and David, would you be an illustration for me? And the two people that are making the contract, would, they would come and between the pieces, come in between the pieces, yes, thank you. And so between the pieces, they would say, I'm promising this to you. And if I don't fulfill my contract, may I be like these pieces of meat. May I be the one that's cut in two. May my body be the one that's lying on the ground. And they would both promise this. The two people would stand between the pieces, promise this. And once you said this, you were bound. You can sit down. Thank you, David. So that was the contract signed. So they would look at a piece of paper that we signed and they'd go, how wimpy. But um, they would get this promise, and it was, it was standing in front of them. And Abraham sees this. He sees God say, how can I know? And, and God replies, bring me these animals. And Abra- God doesn't even have to s- explain what to do. Abraham knows exactly what to do, because he knew that in his time, this was signing a contract. This was how you made an agreement. And so they do this. We hear this... Um, this language about an incredible darkness comes down, this, this terrifying darkness, this unbelievable terror. He's in God's presence. And then we hear these strange verses about a smoking fire pot and this, this blazing light. The, the translators don't really know how to translate this, but it's, it's, it's literally the words that describe when God's presence appeared before Moses on Mount Sinai. 
And when the people of God were, were traveling through the desert and they saw this, this flaming tower and this pillar of smoke, this is the presence of God. It appears before Abraham. And when he appears before Abraham, if this is not enough, this is the glory of God in front of him, what does the glory do? It passes between the pieces. God goes between the pieces and he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring salvation to you. And through you, I'm going to bring salvation to the whole world. And if I don't do this, may I be cut in two. May I be, be like these pieces of meat on the ground. This is God saying this. But you know, when we see that, God is making a promise here. But, but that's it's kind of weird because God is not the one who lets the side down. It's Abraham. God is not the one who can't fill his side of the bargain. It's people. It's me. It's you. We're the ones that let God down. God is not the one who's breaking his promise. God's the one standing there going, how many times are they going to break the promise? This is the 50th time. No, like God is the one who's faithful, and we're the ones who break the promise. But what's amazing is that God goes through the pieces alone. When someone makes a promise in this, this time, in the ancient Near East, it had to be the two people went together. If, if one person went through it, it, it that doesn't make sense because the two people are committing, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this. But when God does it, he's saying, Abraham, I'm going through for both of us. I'm going through for both of us. If I don't fulfill my side of the bargain, may I be cut in two. But if you don't, if you mess up, if you don't fulfill your promise, which you won't, Remember, God has just reminded Abraham of the fact that he knows all the history of his descendants. He just told him, you're about to go into slavery. You're going to disobey me. You're going to end up in all this mess. He knows already. And yet he says, Abraham, I'm going through for both of us. When you mess up, may the consequence come on me. When you mess up, may I take the punishment and you receive the blessing. I will bless you. I will bring salvation to you, even if it means, and it did, that I will have to be like these pieces of meat. This is God promising this. What Abraham didn't know, but Hebrews does, is that this terrifying darkness would come down again 2,000 years later. Jesus, fully God, hung on a tree like a piece of meat, bruised and broken, and he cried out as he stretched in two, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, and this is what it would cost to make the promise that God did. This is the gospel. Do you see, salvation is not a cooperative effort. It's not, I'm going to try a little bit and God's going to do this. No, no. God is taking the full weight. He goes through the pieces alone. God is saying, I am your salvation. I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. I will take all the punishment so that you will receive all the blessing. I will offer you a salvation where the price is all on me and the reward is all on you. This is the gospel. And so when Hebrews 6 points us back to Genesis 15, and it says, and we have this hope, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. We have this hope that God would take the whole price as an anchor for our souls. We have this hope, a God who would surrender everything to forgive 
and bless you. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Hebrews 6 points us back to Genesis because this is a foundation that is so secure, that will not drift, that will not change. Hebrews is saying you have a a God, you belong to a God that loves you so furiously that no matter what you have done or will do, no matter what waves buffet you, no matter what currents come against you, you have a foundation that is so secure God is saying, no matter what you do, I will bless you and I will take the punishment and I will be your reward. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. The question is, will you trust it? Because when we get back to our um, illustration of the boat and the anchor, we see here that the, the anchor is in a foundation so secure, God will not change. He has said, I will bless you, and I have guaranteed your blessing. I have guaranteed your identity. I am now a child of God that cannot change. Romans 8 makes it clear when he says, nothing that comes against you, neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nothing will change my relationship to you. It's certain. It's secure. It's a rock that will not change. The question is, how tight is the anchor in the boat? How tight is this anchor in your life? Are you willing to let go of your old anchors? The old anchors, the old points where we trust things to give us security and identity and self-worth. Are we willing to let them go? Will you trust him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you made this promise to Abraham and as Hebrews points us back here we're reminded that you were hanging on a cross like a piece of meat you made this covenant with Abraham and you fulfilled it at the cross and we have this hope as an anchor for the soul father we pray that you would show us the anchors in our heart that need to change lord you would show us the anchors that we have been trusting in to give us our self-worth and identity And Lord, that you would replace them with an anchor that is so firm and so secure. Thank you, Lord, that you've guaranteed our identity and we trust in you. We say, Lord, yes, Lord, we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.